0: The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience, and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In today's episode I'm chatting to Jess about the birth of her son Ned. She shares the story of her pregnancy and how she delivered her son at home into the water. Ned was born with his head in quite a difficult position. It was almost brow presentation and yeah, Jess shares the final moments of his arrival into the world with such beautiful love and attention to detail. This is such an empowering birth story and I hope you enjoy hearing it as much as I have. I also want to take a moment to tell you about another podcast that I've been loving listening to. Postpartum Stories with Steph is a podcast for anyone who is pregnant, has kids or might be thinking about having a baby. It shares the real and raw stories about early motherhood, covering everything from breastfeeding to sleep to poop. Steph shares a variety of stories from the glorious postpartum experiences to the tough and challenging ones. It's hosted by Steph, a postpartum doula in Melbourne, and you can find links to her Instagram and website in the show notes and find her podcast, Postpartum Stories with Steph, wherever you find your podcasts. I love hearing your thoughts on the show and leaving a rating or review also helps to get the podcast out to more pregnant people and new families so they can hear these stories and an alternative narrative to the way birth is represented in mainstream media. Um, which I'm really passionate about so if you do have time to leave a quick star rating or even better um, a few words as a review I'd so appreciate that and yeah I'll let Jess share her story hi Jess thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today how are you I'm great thank you so much for having me on the podcast (laughs) And you're going to be sharing the birth story of your son, Ned, today. But would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so we live in Therule, just north of Wollongong in New South Wales. Um, so there's me and my partner, Kane, and our little boy, Ned, who's 14 months old now. Um, and yeah, so we had Ned last year, and I've kind of found that the 12 months of motherhood you know the early months of motherhood to be just as transformational as um, the experience of pregnancy and birth so I've had since I had made a total career change I have retrained as a doula and just launched a doula business so I'm just completely my head is just completely in the world of birth and especially home
0: birth Um, yeah that's a little bit about me Hmm, amazing that sounds yeah it sounds huge as well that's transformational but but massive
1: (laughs) yeah it's huge because um so the kind of backstory to that was I'm originally from a regional area of Victoria around um Bendigo so what I was doing kind of before um before Ned was um, I did a PhD in Aboriginal history, so I am a, I'm trained as an oral historian. So I was working with the traditional owners of the Bendigo region, Jarawurung people, um, and we did we recorded a lot of oral stories uh, from that community and published those in a book. And that was kind of my the the backbone of my thesis my PhD thesis and so then I was working in research after that when we moved to New South Wales and then yeah I I got pregnant and my whole world just changed and my I just feel like I was woken up to my calling um, so you know I loved the work that I was doing prior to that but um, there's not <laughs> like Um, not a lot of work in academia which was the kind of career path I was going down and then all of a sudden yeah I just have had this awakening and all of the skills and the knowledge that I learnt through that previous career have just um, become relevant in a whole different way I guess.
0: Yeah absolutely and um, I'm sure you'll make an absolutely incredible doula and have such good kind of ability to hold space and listen and Um, yeah really hold all of your clients so that'll be yeah it'll be amazing.
1: Yeah thank
0: you yeah (laughs) that is the skill that you learn
1: as an oral historian I guess is to centre other people's voices.
0: Yeah absolutely perfect for birth work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we might jump into Ned's pregnancy Um, would you like to share a bit about how that pregnancy came about was he planned or um, a little surprise and yeah uh, maybe share about when you found out that you were first pregnant yeah
1: sure um so it was very much planned we um we wanted to have just out a family for a long time um but I was studying and then finally earning some money so it wasn't the right timing but then suddenly it was the right timing and it was such an exciting time so we, we bought a house and then a month, like literally within days of moving into the house was when we started trying to conceive and we got pregnant, I think, within the first, the second month of trying. So we kind of, Ned, Ned's whole story is very much tied up in the house that um, we live in now that's our family home. So, um, yeah, it was a really exciting time when I got pregnant with Ned I found that um, the first trimester to be it was almost I kind of would describe it as like my undoing of everything that I thought I knew and this path that I thought I was on I was sort of you know I nearly had a book contract and I was moving down at a particular path and then yeah I got pregnant and I was just I'd planned it for so long, but I was just completely floored by the reality of it. I can't even describe it um, because, of course, it was planned and it was so wanted. But then all of a sudden I felt like I didn't want to be at work. I didn't want to be anywhere except home. Um, And it was, yeah, this this sort of unravelling and this dissolving of everything that I'd been, and I think that was why it was my – I was starting to learn to listen to my own intuition speaking as well. And I think it was my intuition telling me that I didn't need to be out in the world in that kind of hyper-masculine environment. I needed to be at home in my own space to be able to do this work of dissolving that I had no control over anyway. Um, And so yeah, the first trimester of my pregnancy with with Ned was a really intense time of breaking down I wouldn't have had the language for it at the time I didn't know what was going on or why it felt so intense but that was the experience of that time for
0: me Mm, I can relate to so much of what you've just said I think I did something very similar and quit my job uh, a couple of months into pregnancy and didn't go back to work and just enjoyed it but um Yeah, yeah kind of how did how did things progress throughout the pregnancy and um how, yeah, I guess, were you kind of aware that you wanted to have a home birth or um, what sort of options were you considering at the beginning?
1: Yeah, so before I got pregnant, I did a lot of research. I'm a researcher by trade, so I can't help <laughs> myself. <laughs> so I did a lot of research um, before I got pregnant and I knew what the options were and I was I was considering home birth and I was considering um birth center as well and then I looked and there was no birth center anywhere near us which left me with hospital birth or home birth and I kind of had heard a little bit about I didn't gravitate to hospital naturally Um, and then I just had seen some media about our local hospital that didn't make me feel um, (laughs) like it was a place I wanted to birth my baby So that pushed me more and more strongly towards home birth. And then I'm not sure if I'd 100% made the decision when I got pregnant, but I did very early on in the first few weeks. Like I knew I was pregnant with Ned within like as early as it's possible to know you're pregnant. So so I contacted a couple of local home birth midwives. We're really lucky that we've got... Two home birth midwives that live locally and we've got another probably four or five that will travel to our area. So we've got lots of choice, which is quite unusual. So I contacted three home birth midwives and met with them within the first five or six weeks of pregnancy. And I knew as soon as I met with them that that was absolutely the path for me. Um, It was just like I never even really considered hospital birth because it was just so clear the, like it's just so clear, everything about it, the level of one-to-one support that you get from the midwife and, the the, you know, being able to build that relationship with the midwife. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah. How was was it? sorry, how was it meeting with multiple? Did you feel like there was an instant um, kind of click with the right midwife or was it hard to make a decision after you'd met them all? It wasn't
1: hard in that I that I, I would have been totally comfortable birthing with any one of them, um, but there was one midwife in particular, um, Lou, who I just felt really comfortable with. She was just very easygoing. Um, our personalities just you know, were comfortable with one another. So, um, and, and she had the added benefit of being a lactation consultant as well, so I knew that I would have that support postpartum if I needed it too. So it was, um, like, it was great meeting with a couple of different midwives because it just reassured me that any one of them would have been amazing, but here's one that I just really vibe with.
0: Mm, yeah, perfect. And, yeah, going on from there, how did um How did the pregnancy progress and what did the care with your midwife look like?
1: So the pregnancy was really straightforward. I was really lucky with my pregnancy. Once I got, you know, I had a bit of morning sickness. I just kind of felt hungover for the first trimester, basically. Um, I felt pretty gross and I felt really tired. Um, But once I passed the sort of 12, 13 week mark, I felt really good like I had I really didn't have anything to complain about except some back pain I got a lot of lower back pain but otherwise it was such a cruisy pregnancy um and it was hard because I was I had a really long commute to my work it was like two and a quarter hours each way to get to work so I was really worn out by that but um, and and also because I was really my head was just not in that space anymore, so I just wanted to be home. Um, but otherwise, it was a really straightforward pregnancy, and the um, the care with my midwife was so lovely. So. Um, so that was the other thing that yeah I, I also considered we ha- we're we lucky enough to have a midwifery group practice at our local hospital that does offer home birth as an option. But I found out there were a couple of reasons why I didn't go down that route. Like one of them was that they you wouldn't know whether you had a place in the midwifery group practice until 14 weeks. And when I was like two weeks pregnant and it was my first pregnancy, that just seemed like an inconceivable amount of time. (laughs) time. (laughs) Looking back, I'm like, oh, my God, Jess, that's nothing. But at the time it felt like, you know, I really wanted the certainty to know how I was going to be birthing. So that was one reason why I didn't go with the MGP program. And then the other reason being that, um, I didn't know at the time, but I now know that, I mean, the benefit of being in the MGP, like a publicly funded home birth program, is that it's free. But the downside, the cost of that, is that you have to jump through a lot of hoops um, to be allowed to stay in the program. And so there's a lot of um, testing that, you know, I didn't want to do a heap of testing through my pregnancy. So I would have had to do, agree to a lot of tests that I didn't really want um, so that was the benefit of being with a private midwife was that I had complete say over which, if any, tests I had through the pregnancy.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, the only test that I had was I did have a 20-week um, scan. That was that was nice actually. I probably wouldn't have done it if my partner hadn't, want, hadn't really wanted um, to have one one scan through the pregnancy. But in like doing the scan was really nice. I got to see my little baby for the first time and I burst into tears like you do, like you see in the movies, but I saw <laughs> the baby moving on the monitor. So it wasn't the horrible experience that I was expecting. So that was nice. Um but that was the only testing that I had through the pregnancy. And then otherwise it was just yeah that so um, working with a private midwife, she have got, or at least with my private midwife, was monthly visits through the second trimester. So I saw Lou once a month and she came on. Oh, she was working with a student midwife as well, Jen. So they were both, they felt like friends by the end of the pregnancy. Like it was really nice, you know, they would just would come to our house and spend an hour and talk a bit about. Birth and then just talk about other stuff as well, and you know check my baby's heart rate um, and just yeah just it was a really reassuring sort of calming vibe. It was just very chilled out, I guess. Mm. Um, and that yeah it was so later in the pregnancy um, we had like you you can't get pregnant and have a baby without doing a renovation or something you can't <laughs> I haven't encountered anyone who's done that yet so they just go ahead and so we did a um a reno of our stream. so later in the pregnancy we had a house full of tradies and so Lou met me down at the beach It was the best oh. antenatal appointment ever like <laughs> I didn't amazing her. yeah it was so good so she just met me down at the beach and I lay on the grass and she with my big belly and she checked Ned's heart rate and you know it was like the epitome of woman-centered care
0: that is and amazing
1: then, yeah and I just I loved how normal pregnancy and birth is in that model of care like it's not I never I had to go to the hospital to um, do the uh, like the booking in appointment so just so that I I went into the hospital so that they were aware of me and my pregnancy so that if I had to transfer during the birth I was already on their file Um, but that was the only time I had to visit the hospital through the pregnancy so, yeah, it was just like when your midwife just meets you down the beach to, for your antenatal appointment, that's like nothing says that pregnancy and birth is normal like sitting on the beach
0: with a midwife. <laughs> oh, definitely. I've been loving um, watching my midwife sometimes put up like little videos of um, families who are having um you're having their antenatal appointments on their instagram and sometimes there's you know like little siblings using the doppler and just like a whole family thing and it's so yeah like you said it's just so beautiful and normal under that look care. like it's just an everyday kind of thing and not medicalized and yeah really beautiful
1: Exactly, yeah, and it really creates that sense of community um, and, yeah, that, that's what birth is meant to be, in community, not outside of community, locked down in hospitals.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, did your midwife offer any kind of birth education or did you and your partner opt for doing any childbirth courses to prepare for the birth? we did
1: we we did a calm birth course um right at the end of my pregnancy i think i was about 36 weeks pregnant when we did that and the reason for doing that was i was uh, i read a lot of books and listened to podcasts nonstop through my pregnancy um but kane my partner was a little bit apprehensive about having a home birth so it wouldn't have been his choice and he like it was never an issue because he fully felt that it was my body and my choice where I chose to have our baby. Um, but he just had some uncertainty. And so doing the, the calm birth course um, was really good for that because it helped him understand, it kind of talked through the hormones of birth and you know how that hormonal cascade is supposed to flow ideally. And then he could see why being at home is the ideal environment to allow those birth hormones to flow it's what um dr sarah buckley calls you know being private safe and unobserved and that that's what allows the hormones of birth to flow how they're supposed to and so when you understand the the physiology of birth in that way it becomes really clear why being at home in your own environment is the kind of optimal way to allow that hormonal flow as opposed to disrupting it by going into a hospital where you probably don't feel even if you feel intellectually safe um because you're surrounded by medical care your body doesn't feel um that that's a relaxing place to be so it it made it really clear for him why i'd chosen to birth at home and it just was it's kind of it's such a blokey thing i think was just like oh yeah okay fair enough like yeah, well, <laughs> why wouldn't you be at home then? Like, <laughs> you maybe yeah, bring with it the the level of um, fear maybe that um, that a lot of us as women carry. It was just like, oh, okay, yeah, now I can see that now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty common reaction actually. And maybe it's just kind of hearing the same information that their partners are researching and trying to relay come from somebody who they feel is an authority on the matter is, is just enough. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hearing it from somebody else, maybe. And they're forced to sit down and listen to it for a weekend. So they, um, yeah, it was that really helped to kind of lay the groundwork for us as that we were then able to go and birth Ned as a couple and it really did feel like we, we did it as a couple after that. He was he was really on board by then. So
0: mm. that was a worthwhile thing to do. Yeah. And um, and just quickly, it sounds like you were pretty kind of researched and prepared for labour and kind of knew what you were in for. But um, even despite that, was there, yeah, did you feel like you still took away anything that you hadn't learnt already from the Calm Birth course?
1: Um. I wouldn't say in terms of information I took anything in particular away, but I think what it did for me was I finished work on a Friday and then we did the calm birth course that weekend. And so for me, it was almost a transition into like fully into birth prep mode, um, if that makes sense. Like, because mm. calm birth includes a lot of meditation and visualization work and so we spent the weekend doing a lot of meditation Kane hated it <laughs> <laughs> he liked the information aspect and hated the meditation whereas for me I knew the information but the medit like being uh, in an environment where that's just what you're doing you're just sitting there and doing a lot of long meditations it was just a really beautiful way to, for me to kind of slip into a different rhythm like slip out of the nine-to-five rhythm and into a much slower rhythm in readiness for our birth.
0: Mm, amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, going on from there, how, how did your labour begin? What were some early signs of things getting started?
1: Yeah, so we, I went into labour at uh, six days past Ned's due date so there'd been a little bit of, um, in the, the maybe two or three days prior, I had a, I'd, I'd had a lot of Braxton Hicks contractions, like from early, from like 20 weeks, really clear Braxton Hicks contractions all the way through the second half of my pregnancy. So I was, I said to my midwife, like, how am I going to know, like, what's a Braxton Hicks contraction and what's a real contraction? And she was like, you will know, <laughs> and I didn't know. <laughs> So, um, and then, yeah, in the last few days before I went into labour, I started to feel some changes in how my pelvis felt. Like I felt it was really um, achy. I just had lots of aches and pains around my pelvis, and it felt really loose, like there was nothing holding my pelvis together. Um, And so that gave me a sense that, oh, it's going to happen soon. And then a couple of days before I went into labour, I was in a really bad mood. Like I just felt really grumpy and tired and just shitty. And I remember walking home. I'd walked down to my local cafe and this was how I was spending my afternoons was just um, sitting in the sun and sipping tea and reading in the May Gaskin books about, you know, to really um, wire my brain around the fact that birth works. Um, and so the the Monday I felt really shitty, and I was like, oh, I hope I don't go into labour today. I just feel really tired and unrested, um, and I didn't. And then the next day, the Tuesday was just like the dream day. Like it was like something out of a movie. I was I was just sort of waddling around the the streets and the sun was pouring down it was the middle of winter but it was really warm and i was yeah i sat at the cafe and sipped my tea and read the my inner may gascon books and then i was like waddling home up the hill and i thought to myself i'm going to go into labor tonight like this is such a perfect day i'm going to go into labor <laughs> um and I went to bed and I woke up around midnight or it was about 10 to 1, actually. I remember it pretty well. Um, with, I, I wasn't sure what had woken me up, but um, something had kind of disturbed me, which is not uncommon in the last <laughs> trimester of pregnancy. Um, so I got up to pee and I came back to bed. And then 10 minutes later, I felt a little contraction. And it did feel different to a Braxton Hicks contraction, um, where the Braxton Hicks was just just a, a tightening but no pain, um, whereas this was just the slightest hint of discomfort. And yeah, I thought, oh, that I think that's it. And I waited, and another ten minutes later, I got another one, and I was like, yeah, this is it. Um, and so I spent the next two or three hours just in bed um, with these, the very beginnings of contraction starting. I didn't want to wake Kane because I knew that we were probably in for a long day, so I let him sleep. And I stayed in bed for as long as I could. I think I made it to about four in the morning before it just started to get a little bit uncomfortable. So, yeah, I got out of bed and um, put the kettle on, And I called my mum and sister. So my mum and sister, who I'm really, really close to, uh, live in Victoria. So it's like an eight-hour drive. They're a long way away. So I called them and they both answered like straight away because they were, you know, they were on call. Um, (laughs) So I called them and spoke to them and that was a really strange feeling because I was like, the next time I speak to them, I'm probably going to have a baby, which was just a really unnerving feeling and i started to feel a bit nauseous and just and i think it was probably just the adrenaline of knowing that i was finally going into labor um so around five i went and woke kane up and he was like super chill but sneakily excited (laughs) (laughs) Um. so yeah he got up and started making some tea some toast and tea and i just um got into the zone, I guess, so I had a really beautiful setup for the birth already, like I'd been fluffing around in the last you know few weeks prior to Ned's birth, just getting everything looking beautiful i I guess that's the benefit of your first baby is and and taking a long period of maternity leave that you've got time to do that, so yeah, I had the the area set up with a my candles and Um, bunting with flags I'd had a mother blessing in you know a few weeks prior so I had bunting with beautiful messages written on it and I had a a dried wreath of flowers that I'd used at my mother blessing and that was on I made a little altar with that and some candles and a salt lamp and fairy lights and all of the pretty stuff Um, so I sat down in that little space and I lit my candle and it was still dark at that time early in the morning when i lit my candle and sort of gave myself permission to start this labor and to really yeah to drop into it i really wanted to experience the labor i i was i didn't um i've kind of explored my spirituality a lot more since then um and at the time i i wouldn't have used the word um, spiritual to describe birth but it was for me it felt like a very sacred and spiritual experience so yeah I just allowed myself to kind of drop into the birthing space um, and so I think around that time I just texted my midwife Lou to let her know that I'd gone into labor and then I just started working with the contractions I thought that I was you know really experiencing contractions at that point but I really wasn't like <laughs> <laughs> with hindsight it was <laughs> so I started um, I really wanted to make my baby a birthday cake so I made him a little chocolate cake and <laughs> I baked <laughs> in that the early period. I forgot the baking powder, so it ended up being a very flat cake. But it really didn't matter. By the time we ate it, by the time he was earthside, it was the best thing we'd ever tasted, even if it was a little bit
0: dense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, did your after you called your midwife, did she was she sort of gonna head over then, or was that just kind of to let her know that things were happening?
1: No, it was just to let her know at that point. I think if I'd needed her, she would have come, but I really wanted to um, be in very established labour before she came. I really feel, I felt like I, I just wanted to be in my own space. So she, I think she, so she's a lactation consultant and she, that's, the Wednesday was one of her clinic days. So she had to kind of cancel her appointments for the day. But she didn't She didn't come for ages. She probably could have done all her appointments. Um, yeah, it was just me and Kane for pretty well all day until I think she arrived around 4.30 in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, I guess how did things progress from there and at what point did um, you go into kind of active labour and feel like you needed support?
1: Yeah, so the morning I just um labored at home around the lounge room um Kane just gave me lots of space which was what I needed at that point like I really just needed to be left alone to just kind of feel into what was happening in my body so yeah I was in the lounge room I think I got myself set up on a cushion and like my my knees were on a cushion on the ground at, and I had my elbows on the couch and so I would just, like when I got a contraction, I'd kind of lean forward into the couch and then I'd drop back onto my knees in the rest periods in between and just rest with that. I had a hot water bottle, which was really nice. Um, and then around about, I think, around 11 a.m., so my contractions have been pretty regular Um like and and coming reasonably frequently like probably every three to four minutes and lasting like a minute and a half right through the morning and then I got in the shower for a while I felt like I needed to like a little bit of relief so I got in the shower for a while and then that was really nice for a little bit and then I found my contractions kind of fizzled out so I got out and just lay down on the bed for a while and then I was like no they're gone I've got like I'm getting nothing so I kind of felt a bit frustrated with that I was like oh man I've psyched myself out of it <laughs> so I called I called Lou at that point and just told her what had happened and she was like you can't psych yourself out of labor so <laughs> it's okay <laughs> if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and just reassured me that it was probably more likely um, Bub's position at that point so and, and just reassuring me that you know during these early parts of labor, um, it can go on for two days you know, of, of really my body trying to get my baby into the right position. So she suggested um, just getting dressed and going for a walk. So that's what we decided we'd do. I felt really deflated at that point and I called my mum and she just talked to me and that kind of cheered me up a bit. And then I got dressed and we got ready to go for a walk. And then all of a sudden something shifted. And my contractions came back, and suddenly they were further apart, but they were much like very regular in their timing and much stronger. So I was like, "Oh, okay, we're we're going again." So, um, so something had shifted, and it, it had kicked back into gear. And so I, I knew at that point I was in a more of an established labor. So that's when I spent. Another couple of hours just in the bedroom, then, and I started experimenting with making noise at that point. Um, and it, to start with, it really was just experimentation. I just like tried a moan, and I was like, "Oh, that felt really good." So from there, I I used sound right the way through the labor. Um, to the, and it got to a point where if someone had told me to be quiet, I could not have handled it. Like sound making that low moaning noise through my throat became my pain relief. And I'd read um, in one of Inna Mae Gaskin's books, she'd said that women who um, have an open throat through their labour rarely need stitches. And and the way to keep um, your throat open is through making sound. So, yeah, sound became... My number one tool that I used right the way through the labor then, so yeah, I spent a few a few hours just in the bedroom again with my like kneeling on a cushion and I'd kind of lean forward and bury my head onto the mattress um, during a contraction and make that low sound and then I'd really rest during. The, the rests between so I really made use of those rests to just relax my body as much as I could and then I was like I felt like I needed some relief again so that's when I got back in the shower and I think I spent maybe 40 minutes in the shower and within like oh, not long maybe 10 minutes of me getting in the shower came called Louise then and I think he wanted a bit of reassurance I didn't want anyone still at that point but I didn't know how far along I was, and I didn't know when I was going to need someone. So he called Lou, and she listened to one of my contractions over the phone, and she was like, "We'll we'll leave in the next half hour or so. We'll come over." So, um, yeah, I was in the shower for a bit longer, and then I just really overheated. Like I needed Kane at that point to say, "Jess, you need to get out of the shower." Like I would have stayed there because it felt nice, but I was <laughs> I was getting really like red in the face and yeah so he got me out of the shower and i went back to the bedroom and maybe half an hour or so later lou and jen arrived Uh, and so that would have been about half past four in the afternoon and Mm -hmm. i um and, and when they arrived things kicked up again like it was another sort of amping up in the intensity of the contractions and i was in really established labor by that point yeah so Jen and Lou got there and they said, do you want to set up the birth pool? And I was like, yes, (laughs) that would be nice. Um, So, yeah, Kane, that gave him a job to do, which was good for him because things were getting intense by that stage. So he, I think it helped him to feel like he had something to do. So he um, set up the birth pool and then started filling it up. And we were expecting it to take ages to fill up, but we have really good water pressure at our place. So it was like 10 or 15 minutes and it was full. And they're like, do you want to get in? And I was like, oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, um, yeah, that was so nice. I got in the birth pool and it just changed. All of a sudden, the warmth of the water, I could feel Um, I could kind of isolate the pain of the contraction specifically to my uterus rather than my whole abdomen and back. And so being able to really isolate that sensation helped me to focus on the pain. And, And I don't mean that in a bad way, like, you know, it kind of to to really work with the sensations in my body. And so yeah the rest of my body could just relax and i was just kind of floating in the birth pool leaning i was kind of facing the wall of the pool and during the contraction i would just have my forehead against the plastic and just kind of roll my back my head back and forth against the plastic and do that low moan that was helping me so much but yeah the rest of my body could just stay so relaxed and i could focus on what my uterus was doing and that really helped me. And I was kind of visualising and I would even say to myself, you know, with this contraction, my cervix is going to expand a full centimetre. And I would <laughs> tell myself that and then it would, the contraction would start and I could literally feel my cervix opening. So it was kind of a... Um, And and yeah, and as the the contractions got more intense, I would push the sound out my throat. um, And that was what I focused on was, um, yeah, using my diaphragm to push sound through my throat, which kept my throat relaxed, which allowed my body to stay relaxed. And then the contractions could do their work. Um, Yeah, so that was really helpful um Mm, and then I was just yeah yeah sound was and I it's funny to think like I don't know you know next time I give birth maybe sound will do nothing for me it'll be something else and I think it's probably different for everyone and, and different between different births but for me it was sound was just the thing that I used to focus on, and yeah, it was so powerful. And if I'd been told you have to be quiet now, I 100% would have lost control of the pain and it would have got on top of me. So, yeah. And then I feel like from when I got into the birth pool is where I just lose all sense of time. And so for me, um, yeah, I spent it would have been a few hours, probably three hours. The next stage of the labor where I was in the birth pool and at one point apparently Kane took our dog for a walk I don't remember him ever leaving um yeah I was just I feel like I was kind of almost not human anymore where you know I've heard people describe their experiences of labor in all sorts of different ways like you know, that it was you know, a really amazing sort of shamanic experience or it was a really sensual experience, whereas for me it was just I was so out of my head and in my body, like more than I've ever been in my body before in my life Where to a point where I don't even think I knew who I was or that I, you know, I wasn't even aware of my baby. Like people say they think they were thinking about their baby. I was not. Like I was just my... I don't know. Was yeah, I feel like it's what it would feel like to be an animal, like to not have to not think in words, like to not think through language, but to feel in your mm. body and the and the, the sensations of your body and an awareness of what's going on around you. Like at one point further in the labor this um, second midwife arrived. And I remember like noticing her walking through the door, and I kind of looked at her for a moment. And at some p- sort of part of my brain, I registered that she'd walked into the room, but I wasn't. I yeah, I just was not uh, engaged with that. I was in a different world,
0: I guess. Was, yeah, I really yeah, crazy experience relate to that. I can I can absolutely understand it's it's incredibly hard to describe, but yeah, it's almost like you're not even aware of. What it is that you're actually doing like um, yeah at the point of what you're doing you're just literally experiencing it each moment for you're so what it is in the
1: moment exactly yeah exactly and I, I think that's what it is is being so in your body and so in the present moment that everything else even the outcome I guess of the birth is not even like registering I mean you're kind of conscious of it but it's
0: not the mm. focus. One of the mm-hmm. the benefits of that, because I'm a I'm yeah a, a bit like you, a bit of a planner and researcher and um, mm-hmm. prone to being in my head a lot. But one of the benefits of just being so in my body for me was that all of the kind of what ifs and scenarios and um, little fears I had about what might happen, I just literally was not aware of them. Like not not a single one came up during the birth because I just um, didn't have the ability to to um, think about possibilities of what was happening because I was just so focused on the moment.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I felt the same. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have any fears come up during the birth. There was no moment of, um, you know, I've got to deal. I, yeah, it wasn't for me um, a, a working through of anything. It was just, um, just
0: being there
1: and writing it out, I guess.
0: Mm. So we might head into. Um, sort of the final stage of birth. Do you want to talk us through uh, little Ned's birth?
1: Yeah. So um, what happened to kind of to shift that energy was my midwife suggested that I got out of the birth pool which I really didn't want to do um I did so I got out of the birth pool and sat on the toilet for like half an hour and that really intensified the contractions as well and that was also kind of where I was in transition so um and I guess that was like my lowest point um of the labor was where I I got off the toilet i was like i can't stay here anymore and i went and lay on my own bed and i just needed to be in my own space for a bit and i remember saying to kane i'm not going to say i can't do this because i know i can but i don't know what to do next i don't know where to go from here and then i just had this moment of um just trust like just take the next step and so for me the next step was just to get back to the birth pool and like knowing that, you know, I might have to ride this out for an indefinite period of time, but there's no getting out of this. It's just going through it, and so that's what I did. I kind of made that decision to go back to the birth pool and just ride this thing out. And so that's what I did. Kane helped me back to the birth pool, and then I, I climbed in, and almost straight away something shifted, and um, I felt all of a sudden I wasn't able to keep. The lower part of my body relaxed anymore so with each contraction i felt my my back and my abdomen start to tense it was completely outside of my control it started to tense and yeah it was this bearing down feeling and i started to feel this pressure in my bum like of something cut like it's the feeling of needing to do a poo but like the yeah. biggest poo ever um, <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the, I, I let Lou know that, you know, I was feeling this pressure and that I couldn't keep my body relaxed anymore. And, and that was the shift into the pushing stage of labour. And so, um, yeah, so, the, so pushing took 55 minutes, Lou told me. So um, I started off in a kind of squat position um, facing the outside of the birth pool. And then, at some point, and that's when my sounds changed as well, from that low moan into like this really guttural, like roaring, like growling sound as I was I just started pushing. So um, one of the midwives, I can't remember who suggested getting into a position that I would never actually have intuitively got into. um, but it seemed to work. So, Kane was on the outside of the birth pool with his arms linked through mine. And then there was a midwife on each leg. So the student midwife and the second midwife on each leg. And I would, with each contraction, as it built, like I would kind of let the contraction build. And then at the peak of the contraction, I would have this urge to push. And so I would push as hard as I could and i kicked my legs against the birth pool at the same time. and, yeah, and I started to feel my baby moving down through the birth canal and I could actually feel that. So that was really encouraging. And at one point, Lou saw, they they could see his head come into view and somebody said, oh, he's transverse. Um, and I kind of noted them saying that, but I didn't really take it in. And there was no, like, fear to it. It was just interest. And so Ned, as he was coming down, I didn't know he was Ned at that point, but he was. um, As he was coming down the birth canal, he's normally in the correct position. Um, A baby will be facing towards mum's bum and they'll have their chin tucked so it's the top back of their head that presents first, whereas Ned was facing towards my left hip and it was, not quite his full brow, but it was the top, the front top of his head. So kind Mm -hmm. of near the top of his forehead that was coming down. So, um, and that makes the diameter of the baby's head much wider than it would be in the correct position. So if I'd been in a hospital at that point and they'd seen him and I hadn't had any internal checks at that point, so no one would have known, but if I'd been in a hospital, they would have seen him coming down in that position and just, and believed that I couldn't birth a baby in that position and it would have been an episiotomy and a vacuum extraction, but I wasn't in a hospital. I was at home with midwives who trust birth and trust women's bodies. And so they didn't do anything. They just watched and they could see that Ned was moving down fine. And so that's how he was born. He came out like that, um, yeah, and so he, I remember the moment where he was kind of moving up and moving down, like moving into the birth canal, which is like really normal and, and good. But at one point one of the midwives suggested that I try sort of maintaining a little bit of downward pressure during the rest between contractions just to so that he didn't pop back up again. And so I I did that. I just kind of gently kept bearing down during a wait and then the next contraction And, yeah, I remember the moment of him crowning and I said, like when I look back, I laugh at this. I said, it hurts. (laughs) I kind of screamed, like, it hurts. (laughs) I'm looking at it back like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it would. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the words that came out of my mouth. Um,
0: (laughs) I feel like that's the moment, you know, like, yeah like you know for me growing up as a girl and thinking about whether I wanted to have kids it was always like you know I think I want to be a mum but I don't want to give birth because it's always like that moment that I was picturing like the crowning moment I feel like is the thing that everybody imagines because that's like the really kind of shocking kind of how can a baby fit out there moment but for so many people it ends up kind of being an anti-climax almost it was painful, but in the scheme of things, you know, not the hardest moment.
1: I think it was the intensity of it, you know, knowing you've got something coming out of your body, like it feels kind of wrong. It's like I don't want this to, you know, you feel like your insides are coming out. And so there's this sort of, um, yeah, this just a weird moment in your brain of like this isn't right kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and that was the real in- intensity of it with the, that burning sensation of the head coming through. Um, yeah and so that was yeah I, I'll never forget that moment of his head being outside of my body like looking between my legs and seeing this little head and it didn't look like a cute little baby head like he looked like a little gnome like he was under <laughs> water and, you know like the um, they kind of looked like the little carved statue of a gnome and he didn't know he'd been born like he had he was so still And just looking down at that was a very trippy moment. (laughs) I'll never forget that moment.
0: Mm. And then,
1: yeah, I waited for the next contraction to build. And as it did, I pushed again and his body came out pretty easily. And then I got to pick him up off the bottom of the birth pool. And that was my dream was to be able to be the first one to touch my baby. And I was. I picked him up and I put him my breast and I remember looking up at Kane and just seeing this look on his face of just like total bewilderment like you know it was like he'd known that there was a baby coming but kind of at an intellectual level but then all of a sudden like he'd been through this incredibly intense experience of of supporting me through this labor and then he's like holy shit there's an actual baby in our lounge room (laughs) you know he just did not he was just in awe so it was a really beautiful like incredible moment and I was I for some reason I thought that Ned had was a girl the whole I was so convinced that he was a girl and then I looked down and he had a very swollen set of testicles and I was like oh you're not a girl (laughs) so that was a yeah it just kind of threw me I was like it didn't bother me I was just not expecting that I don't know why I was so convinced that he was a girl but he wasn't um yeah and so that was that um that beautiful moment of just relief and yeah just oxytocin filled
0: euphoria I guess yeah and did you stay in the birth pool for a little while
1: Yeah, I did. I I was really happy to stay in the birth pool. Um, So I kind of got myself positioned on the step. So I sat on the step. because His cord was a little bit on the short side. So I sat on the step of the birth pool, which allowed him to be, you know, further. I wasn't having to kind of hold myself up out of the water so I could relax a bit more. And he had his first feed there. And then... um, I don't really have much of a sense of time at this point but it wasn't very long before I felt um, contractions building again and I felt I I kind of pushed a little bit and felt something come out my vagina which I assumed was the placenta and it wasn't it was actually a massive blood clot like size of a placenta blood clot so I lost um, nearly 500 ml of blood, which 500 or over 500 mil would be a postpartum hemorrhage. So I lost a decent amount of blood. Ah. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I passed that big blood clot. So then the birth pool was kind of bloody and I was oblivious to that. I was like, ah, I would have stayed here forever. But I think Lou was keen to get me out. So, um, there was no rush, but yeah, I, I would have stayed there for ages. Um, So like I felt the contractions build again and I stood up at that point and bore down a little bit and birthed the placenta pretty easily. And then, I, yeah, I got out of the pool. I think I gave Ned to Kane and got out of the pool. I felt really lightheaded um, because of the blood loss and because I'd had a really long labour. Like it was 21 hours in the end. So in about 12 hours of that I hadn't eaten or drunk very much. So I was quite lightheaded. And then... But I was like, I yeah, I, I squatted down because I I thought oh, I was going to faint. But the kind of blood came back to my head, and Jen, my student midwife, helped me to the shower. No, I lay down on the bed first, actually. Sorry. Um, and then yeah, lay down there and and gave Ned another little feed, and then we cut the umbilical cord. So Kane got to cut the cord. And then I jumped in the shower and I had my little victory
0: shower while Ned and Kane had their first cuddle. Oh, beautiful. Um, you mentioned that you lost kind of just under five hundred mils of blood, was that in? Yeah. Yeah, do that's
1: you, right, yeah.
0: Do you know you might not know the answer to this, but um I'm curious, being in the birth pool, how they measure that? Like is that kind of an estimate or um Yeah. Yeah it's
1: definitely an estimate I don't know exactly how you could tell that either um and even like in the birth pool is hard even like not in the birth pool like if you were on a bed and like the blood was in sheets it must be pretty hard to estimate that as well so like yeah I I don't know. Yeah
0: true it must be a bit of a guess either way.
1: Yeah Mm. I think there's a bit of guesswork involved.
0: Yeah yeah Ah, amazing well um we are kind of running out of time, but would you like to share a little bit about what those kind of first few days were like for you and how breastfeeding went?
1: Yeah, sure. So we were really lucky that we had Lou um, supporting us as a lactation consultant because uh, I think because we'd had such a you know easy, straightforward birth, Ned was a really good little feeder and he'd launched pretty well, but he had a tongue tie and, and Lou had picked up this tongue tie literally at his first cry. He just came out, cried and she was like, tongue tie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I was, my nipples were really sore by day two, like, yeah, really agonisingly sore. Um, and so Lou came around and she cut his tongue tie at home on day two and then she showed me how to Um, feed him lying down, like in a side-lying position. And because that changed the angle that he was latching on, he was then able to feed without any pain for me. And our breastfeeding journey after that was just completely straightforward. So, you know, I was able to get lots more rest because I could feed him lying down. And then, yeah, my milk came in after like two and a half days. It came in really quickly and it was just completely straightforward and no issues ever since and it was one of those things where we we had a completely straightforward story because we had lose support but if we hadn't had lose support it would have been a very different story and so part of me is like you know birthing like a physiological birth is the way to set yourself up for a straightforward breastfeeding journey um you know, like, of course, there are no guarantees, but, you know, when the it's the right hormonal flow again and the baby's not stressed and mum's not stressed and there's no rush, that is 100% the way to set up, you know, straightforward breastfeeding journey. But at the same time, there can be issues like tongue tie and that's where we need, like, we need both um, gentle births and we need expert support. And I was lucky enough to have both of those things.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with you on that. Yeah. Mm, and, I mean, you know, expert support from a midwife in a in the environment you feel safe in is, you know, setting yourself up to have that gentle birth as well, as well as being, you know, educated and prepared, or at least um, for me anyway it was. Yeah. Yeah, mm. exactly. And... Um, Yeah, just quickly, you mentioned possibly having another baby. How would you like to share a little bit about kind of any change in um, kind of feelings that you have in anticipation of another birth or if there's anything that you would do differently or do the same?
1: Yeah, I think I have thought about this. Actually it was it's funny, listening to um your podcast with Steffi the other week just gave me such a vision of how I want to birth the next baby. Like I felt like such a hippie the first time like with men's birth, <laughs> birthing at home. I didn't know anyone else who'd had a home birth when I chose to birth at home. And I felt like such a hippie. And then I listened to Steffi's story and I'm like, oh my god, I'm one hundred percent gonna birth my next baby outside on the land with a tepee and a fire. <laughs> 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 it was so good. just made me just fully embrace my, you know, approach to birth. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, it's, it's funny because I loved pregnancy and birth so much that I really thought I was going to want to have the next baby really quickly, but I'm so in love with Ned and the relationship that we have that I'm not in any hurry at this point to have the next baby but i have definitely kind of thought about how i would like it to go down like the and, and there's really not much i would change what I, I did so much to prepare for my postpartum this time around and it was so good i had the most blissful like fourth trimester i had a i did heaps of cooking prior so I had heaps of food prepared I had a postpartum doula I did the first 40 days tradition of not really leaving the house apart from once or twice during that time and it was absolutely blissful and so the next time I would do that only like times 10 like I would, <laughs> uh, you know I, I would save to be able to pay for a cleaner and I would freeze even more food next time and I just feel like no matter how prepared you are for your um, postpartum, um, just keep adding to the preparation because you can't, you literally can't be over prepared for that. Mm-hmm. So that would be the thing I would add to next time. And, yeah, otherwise I would just, um, I guess my experience of Ned's birth just, I, I'd never, as I said, met anyone who'd even had a home birth before I had Ned. And so I felt kind of a bit naive for thinking I truly truly believe that I could have a beautiful sacred experience of birth but I didn't know anyone who'd had that I just trusted that I could whereas this time I don't feel naive for thinking that I think that is correct <laughs> so I would just um, I wouldn't be embarrassed to think that I would just fully throw myself into it and yeah, I would love to birth my next baby outside on the land. I've um, built a really deep and beautiful relationship with the land that I live on here. And, I yeah, so for me it would be really special to be able to birth my baby on the land, like on Darawal country. So that's the only difference. I think I would just embrace everything
0: even more next time. <laughs> hmm. Amazing. Well, um Um, Yeah well thank you so much for sharing your story it was such a pleasure to have you on and I'm sure yeah it's just going to be really meaningful for lots of people so thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share it. thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. You can find some photos from Jess's labor and birth on my Instagram, um, which is at keepbirthwild.podcast, including an amazing photo of the moment Jess described in her story where she was able to look down and see Ned's head, which had already been birthed. It's such an emotive image to see after having heard her story. So definitely head over and check that out. And thank you again for listening and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.